Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, psychologist, relationship coach, attachment theory expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, author of Love Magnet and Athletic Wear Connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract to healthy relationship. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. Buckle up and let's get vulnerable. It's February and there's that one holiday that happens in February that so many of us pretend to not care about, but deep down, we wish we had that person that was going to write us a letter, take us to dinner, maybe buy us some flowers and chocolate. We just want to feel loved, appreciated, and adored. And on February 14th, when we don't feel that way, it becomes really obvious what's missing in our lives. I want to help you finally do the work on you that allows you to attract the relationship you've always wanted. Now is the time, not next month, not when work slows down. Now is the time to put yourself first and decide that you will heal your relational wounds. You'll let go of the things that are no longer serving you and you'll step into your securely attached high self-worth version of you. You get to rewrite your love story. You get to have the relationship that you've always wanted. It starts with you. You really can rewire your brain and attract the love that you deserve. And the best news is that you don't have to do it alone. I am here to help you inside of the Empowered, Secure, Loved program. Inside of the program, you'll get everything you need to become the securely attached version of you. You'll be able to fully release your past relationships and past relational trauma, and you'll have all the tools to set boundaries, communicate assertively, and show up as the secure, confident version of you. And right now, when you join, you get a special bonus package. This is just for right now. And it's going to go to the first 15 women who join the program. So this will go quickly. You will get access to the Move to Secure Attachment bonus package. This includes the Boundaries audio course, which has been so popular with my clients, really a deep dive on how to set boundaries and the internal work that supports maintaining boundaries. You'll also get the Become the One bundle, super popular as well. This is three separate courses that will help you in becoming the one. And on top of that, you get a bonus month in the program at no cost to you, plus extra juicy $400 off. I only do this kind of offer one to two times a year. And like I said, this is your time. You're here listening to this podcast for a reason. This is your time to do the work on you. Don't wait. You deserve it. You're so worthy of investing in your healing. You can apply to the program using the link in the show notes. And remember, this is only available to the first 15 women who join the program this month. Don't wait, go apply today. Welcome back to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. This is part two 
in a series where we're looking at the latest research on attachment theory. And specifically, the article that I'm analyzing for you all is called Psychobiology of Attachment and Trauma, Some General Remarks from a Clinical Perspective. This was published in 2019. And today we're going to answer these questions. So listen and see if you've ever wondered, why is it that if we've experienced trauma in our lives, especially early childhood trauma, that we become more susceptible to future trauma? Why is that? Maybe you've also wondered, what is it in the brain that can cause us to be more vulnerable to future trauma. Or if you're experiencing this in your relationships where you're experiencing over and over and over again, the same kind of patterns. And you're wondering, why is it that I am attracting these people and my friends seem to be having these healthy, secure relationships. And here I am repeating these patterns over and over. Well, today we're going to answer it. I'm going to give you the neurobiological perspective from this article. And then I'm also going to talk to you about something called repetition compulsion. So many of you have heard me talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it in a new way that I think you'll really enjoy. So let's dive into it, shall we? I hope you enjoyed part one. This is part two. Before we dive in, I feel like it's important to talk about trauma and what do we mean when we when we talk about trauma. So there's big T trauma, which typically is a specific event. This could be a major car accident, the death of a parent. Um, if you've ever experienced sexual assault or rape, this is big T trauma that was a specific event. And then we have something called little T trauma which is not to invalidate it or say that it's any less painful, but this is experienced as chronic ongoing trauma, such as repeated abuse, whether physical or emotional. This can also look like chronic emotional invalidation, chronic neglect. And this this little t trauma is often connected to what we call relational trauma. And that's what I work a lot with. A lot of my clients will have a combination of relational trauma and perhaps a big T trauma. Um, Some of the people I work with only have the relational trauma. Um, But for the purposes of this discussion today, when I'm talking about trauma, it is either or. It could be big T trauma. It could be relational little T trauma or chronic chronic trauma over time. Uh, But I just think it's important to note and also important to realize is I think a lot of you have heard of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. For a lot of people who have relationship issues, if you will, aka an insecure attachment system, either disorganized, anxious, or avoidant attachment styles, a lot of them will have a correlated PTSD diagnosis or they might meet criteria for PTSD and they don't even realize it. And yes, you could develop PTSD even with relational trauma. I think most people think of it as, oh, there was a car accident or, oh, there was a fire or someone died. Um, But PTSD symptoms can also be developed with little t relational 
trauma. Okay, so I felt like that was important to clarify before we get into the meat of today's episode. Let's dive in, shall we? I'm going to read to you from this article, and here here we go. This is, uh, the heading says, Disoriented Disorganized Attachment Pattern and Increased Risk of Further Traumatization. So this is arguing that a disorganized attachment style is highly correlated with further traumatization, aka early trauma leading to more trauma. And I would say that this can happen with other insecure styles, although it seems as though there's just more research on the disorganized style and we're more we're more certain about the correlations of early trauma with disorganized leading to future experiences. So this is what the article says here. It says established insecure attachment patterns are empirically associated with a higher rate of traumatic events and subsequent trauma. That's a really important line for disoriented, disorganized attachment patterns. The increased vulnerability to traumatization applies above all other attachment contexts. So just what I said that we know that with a disorganized attachment style that you're very likely to experience future trauma. And then it says they aggravate the associated developmental deficits of mentalization as outlined above for insecure attachment patterns. So that was in part one of the episode where we talked about mentalization and the important brain functions that develop in someone with secure attachment and how when we have an insecure style, we're lacking some of those mentalization brain functions that allow us to have really healthy relationships. All right, the article goes on to say, further trauma has a disastrous impact on affective and sociocognitive development. Yes, we know this, we know this. Traumatic experiences often fatefully stabilize existing identity diffusion by structuring the emotional life via splitting or dissociation. Now, that's a really important line. I'm going to pause for a second. So splitting or dissociation and talking about stabilizing the fragmented self. So essentially what the article is saying that through experiencing trauma with someone who already has an insecure attachment style, that this is really solidifying these strategies of attachment that are known as splitting or dissociation. With splitting, when we relate that way, what happens is we will quickly put people as either all good or all bad. Maybe some of you listening relate to this where you have someone, maybe they're even a really good friend of yours, someone you're really getting to know, and then all of a sudden you might just be done with them. Something they did, they crossed a line, right? This is known as splitting, where we see people, things, places in our life even, we see them as either all good or all bad, and it can change on a dime. It can change really quickly. Now, dissociation is something a lot of you who I work with come to me and we talk about this where the brain actually learns to completely dissociate from the present moment as a way to cope. So 
cutting off your memories, cutting off your ability to be present, essentially numbing yourself out to the present experience. And a lot of you I end up working with say, I have chunks of my childhood that I can't even remember, or I have relationships that I don't even remember. And I can tell you that's because your brain was good at developing dissociation as a coping skill. So the article goes on to talk about how when you experience trauma early on, you can then have this experience of putting people, and this is once again splitting, where I'm putting people into two categories. And it says you can develop the the categories of perpetrators and victims and in rapid reversals as well. So you may even see yourself as a perpetrator and see someone else as a victim or the other way around. Um, And then the article goes on to say that this does not just mean that there's an increased risk of re-traumatization. It also encourages a reverse tendency towards outward victimization. And that part's really hard to hear, I think. What the article is saying is that by experiencing this and having a disorganized attachment style, you may also be likely to become the aggressor or the perpetrator. So meaning that you are the person that is um, creating the trauma for others, right? And we have to look at that with compassion, realize that that's never our intention. But when we experience trauma and it's not dealt with, there is this possibility that we will go on and perpetrate more trauma, right? So I think that is a hard pill to swallow, but it's also true. Um, So then it goes on to say, however, this dominant behavioral pattern is based on a massive obstruction of general mentalization functions. I already talked about that, how we're missing some of those functions that we went over in part one. And then due to the overwhelming destructive affects in the trauma itself, it is often not possible to correctly record the event between perpetrator and victim in the sense of an identifiable object-subject relation that can be represented in this way. And then it says, rather, the trauma is encoded as the destructive affective state. So, and then it, it goes on to say, the result may be malignant interjection that constantly presses for externalization in concrete relationships. As a result of trauma-related dissociation, it can thus neither be self-reflexively assessed nor independently modified. Although hypervigilance towards the emotional facial expressions of potential perpetrators almost predominates This is now, listen to this. There is also a fundamental inhibition or refusal to empathize with or even to recognize the mental state of perpetrators at all. In a dissociative altered state of consciousness, the various aspects of a risky situation can often go completely unnoticed. Thus, it often happens that object-related external perception and blocked self-reflexive inner attitude may express a distancing towards a potential offender. While on an unconscious or dissociated physical signal level, an attachment inherent search for proximity may be effective. 
This contradictory behavior reinforces the already established disoriented, disorganized attachment pattern and maintains as a strong risk factor for future traumatization. Okay, y'all, if you just listen to that and you're like, what in the F did that article say? I'm going to break it down for you in very simple terms. Essentially, what this is saying is incredibly fascinating that based on early trauma experiences and the way that we internalize the trauma and that there is such a dissociation from it, that it actually causes you in future situations to dissociate or to be unable to detect future threats of trauma. So let's talk about this for a second. This would be like, let's say someone with disorganized attachment experienced early childhood trauma, and then they're going into their relationships and they're dating someone who um, seems fine and they're, they're getting to know this person. But then what about the red flags? How about they are calling out the waitress and they're extremely rude? That person, instead of being able to be present and recognize the red flag, they may be unable to detect it, go into a a dissociative sense, and they may not be able to end the relationship. Now, that's just one example This could show up in so many ways. And what I think is fascinating is that it it mentioned being able to have a external distancing. So maybe you are even trying to get away from someone, but on an unconscious or dissociated physical, that's what we're talking about, the, the biology level, on a physical level, that there can still be that attachment inherent search for proximity. So there we have that contradictory behavior of a disorganized, attached individual. So this is fascinating because I want to say this, and I really should have said this at the beginning, but I'm going to say it now, okay, that trauma is not your fault. It's never your fault, ever, 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 ever. That's not what we're trying to understand here. What we're trying to understand is why is it that we can become more vulnerable to future trauma when we've already experienced it. And based on this research, which looked at, you know, um, hundreds and hundreds of other studies, this was a medical, a meta analysis of empirical research, meaning that hundreds of other studies were used to create this article, right? So based on this knowledge, we know that this is a, neurobiological process that does actually make us more susceptible to future trauma when we've experienced it in the past. And I can certainly vouch for this in my own life. And I know many of you listening really relate to this of once you have experienced relational trauma, or if you experienced it in childhood, or maybe it was your first romantic relationship that you seem to be attracting those patterns over and over. And what this is saying is it's really backing it up with the research that that's not just in your head, that that's actually a neurobiological process. Now there's a little bit more I want to talk about because I wanted to go into dissociation a bit, but before I do, can I just give you some hope that there really is so 
much out there for being able to become securely attached, for being able to prevent future trauma from happening, from being able to stop generational patterns of trauma, it is available to you. So as you're hearing this, I don't want you to feel like, oh, well, I'm just doomed to attract trauma all of my life. That's not the case, okay? It really is possible. If it's possible for me, it is possible for you, my friend. All right, and if you need to step away from this episode, feel free to do so. This maybe is bringing up a lot for you. Uh, but just know I'm giving you a hug and I'm, I'm letting you know that this can change for you as well. Okay. You're not stuck in your patterns, but it's helpful to understand that our patterns are not our fault, that you're not just out here consciously picking these people over and over, but that there is literally a neurobiological attachment system that is unconsciously running in the background that is causing you to experience these things over and over. And I hope that that gives you a ton of compassion and understanding for yourself. All right, let's talk about dissociation a little bit. Dissociation can be understood um, from two separate processes that are going on. So let's talk about it. On one hand, there's a failure to integrate trauma-related information. So this means you experience something and your brain is not integrating it or processing it. That could be understood as compartmentalization, right? We're all, we kind of use that word flippantly in our society, but it's a real trauma process of I'm just going to compartmentalize, right? The other process at work is an increased use of the evolutionarily anchored protective mechanism of depersonalization and derealization. And this is detachment. So those are two key aspects of dissociation. And like I said, so many of you will come to me and you'll say, I just don't remember anything from childhood or I only remember bits and pieces. And you have to realize that that was your attachment system trying to help you using those processes. However, what can happen is that when we consistently use those throughout our adult life, it's really impacting our ability to have healthy relationships and to maintain really healthy relationships. Because there can be this process known as overgeneralization where you may be um, experiencing things in your life that you see as a threat that are not actually a threat. And then you can go into dissociation based on something that you perceived as a threat that's not actually a threat. So as you can imagine, that can make it really hard to have healthy relationships. What's the good news? The good news is that we have neuroplasticity and that no matter what you've experienced or what your current relationship strategies are, that you can become securely attached and you can learn new ways of being and become present in your relationships. And there, there is a way to discontinue using dissociation. So I think that's really encouraging, especially to those of you who have experienced it in the past or who experience it currently, just knowing that based on research, based on my own experience, based on over 500 clients that we've helped at this point, 
I know that no matter what your experience is or what your past has been, that you can always become securely attached. And just to really bring this home, I want to remind us, why is this so important? Well, based on the research, we know that a secure attachment style is a predictor of healthy outcomes in your life, including your mental health, your physical health, your ability to form relationships. And going all the way back to part one, we know that your ability to form bonds and to have secure bonds is a primary motivator in humans, meaning that this is a foundational piece of your life. So when we can get secure attachment right, it creates a rock solid foundation for all the other areas in our life. So it's absolutely huge. And then we also know that with insecure attachment styles, that it's highly correlated with negative mental health outcomes with poor physical health outcomes. That was one of the things as I was preparing for these, these episodes, this two part series, I was absolutely shocked to find the data on insecure attachment and what it does to us physically. There was a lot of research backing up premature aging. Hello, that is not appealing at all. Okay. So children with insecure attachment styles aging more quickly. Um, and then there was also a lot on, on negative physical health outcomes, whether it was brain health or diabetes or cardiovascular, there's all kinds of correlation with insecure attachment and negative health outcomes. So when we talk about this being important, it is so incredibly important. I can't emphasize it enough. And I hope you got a lot out of this two-part series. And if you're someone who's like me, where you really nerd out on this stuff, maybe it was fun for you to go just a little deeper in the research. And I, I want you to know that I take my role of this podcast very seriously. And these are the kinds of things that I'm always researching and learning more about so that I can serve you and so that I can serve my clients at the highest level. It's incredibly important to me. I have a couple things for you. If you haven't taken the attachment style quiz that I have, I highly recommend doing that. You really do need to know what your attachment style is. Very important. You can do that. There's a link in my Instagram bio. If you go to Instagram, Dr. Morgan coaching, there's a link there that just says attachment style quiz. Go take that quiz. Even if you've taken it before, you might want to take it again. Find out where you are currently with your attachment style. And then the other thing that I would say is that if you know that, hey, I need to work on becoming securely attached, I need to stop these generational patterns of insecure attachment in my family, I want to be the one that becomes securely attached and that helps my children become securely attached so that their children could be securely attached so that we can have healthy outcomes in all areas of life, right? If that's you, then I want to invite you to join me inside of the Empowered, Secure, Loved program. We have just the most incredible offer going on for February. There's so many bonuses. 
It's ridiculous. You get the boundaries audio course, which our clients are absolutely loving. Also the become the one bundle, which has a ton of great resources. It's basically its own little mini course. And then we also are doing a discount for the month of February. It's the month of love, love, not love, love. And I want to show you that you deserve to do this work on yourself and that your relationship status has nothing to do with your worthiness. And I wanted to just really make it a no brainer for you to take this step for yourself because you're so deserving of it. You're so deserving of stopping these patterns. You are. So if this really resonated with you today, maybe you've been on the fence I want to encourage you, go apply to the Empowered, Secure, Loved program. We have limited spots. You'll simply have an application call with my team, and then you'll see if it's a good fit for you and go from there. It's really simple. The application takes five minutes. So I'll put the link in the show notes. You can apply there. I hope you liked this series. I know this was a little different where we're going into research articles. I'm reading you the research I hope that you enjoyed just a little bit deeper exploration of attachment theory. I always kind of think I'm like, oh, I talk about attachment theory all the time. I wonder, I wonder if the audience is kind of sick of it, but you know what I find? You guys never get sick of it, which I love because I never get sick of it. I can talk about it all the time and that you all are just really hungry for the research and for understanding attachment theory. So there's going to be a lot more of that on this podcast. We're going to go deep. We're going to understand these things together. And I'm going to always give you practical ways that you can understand it and that you can apply it to your life. All right. I'm so happy you're here, that you're part of this community. And I am wishing you high self-worth and great relationships I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram or Facebook. Make sure you tag me. It would mean the world to me if you took just a moment to leave me a written review on Apple Podcasts. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this show grow, the more people will be able to help. Until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.